You're listening to Twitch Asylum Video Game Radio. Welcome to Twitch Asylum, episode number 14. We've the been episode off. they said we couldn't make. That's true. Uh, we've been <laughs> off for a little while. They tried to shut us down, but, we, but we're back. A <laughs> couple months. Why were we gone for a couple months? Because uh, the man threw me in jail. <laughs> no, I think it's because uh, Chris and Dave were working on a deadline at work, and Woody and I were also coming up on a release at work, so we were all just really busy. Yeah, we really didn't have much time other than uh, working, sleeping, and, and working, so... This is our top priority, but, you know, if we didn't have jobs, we wouldn't have money to play the game. So, you know, we have to take breaks sometimes. Right. And we received lots of mail from people that, you know, asked. Most of the questions were like, are you guys done? You know, should I remove you from, uh, you know, iTunes? What's going on? Uh, What do they care? But but then we... I mean, I I wouldn't care about me. I mean, mean, if you don't remove us, eventually... Yeah, whatever. Eventually, a new one will show up or it won't. I don't know. But some people demanded we do a new show. Those were kind of funny. I, I kinda, love that. I kind of like that, though. If people care enough about the show, they really want us to do another episode. Yeah, That's good, right? We got some flames from some flamers. All right. But one one letter stood out above all. Okay. And, and I'm going to go ahead and read this one to you now. All right. Read it. Oh, I have, we, we have not heard right. this. <clears throat> Only Chris knows yeah. this. This is from 85523 at comcast.net, which uh, I don't know what, what that means. but then Okay. So here it is. You guys make me sad by constantly ragging on Tom. <laughs> and don't tell me you rag on each other, too, because Tom definitely gets the lion's share of the ragging. <laughs> it really begins to tra- detract from the show after a while. Don't think just because I'm in Washington, D.C. and not Washington State, I won't come over there and kick your ass. Stop <laughs> ragging on Tom. Jeez. All right. I have a fan out there who's defending me. That's great. <laughs> Tom, do you have family members in D.C.? No, I don't. So, but... so Woody, are you afraid this guy's going to come kick our ass? I don't, I'm don't. i not I've, really scared for some reason. I haven't rumbled in a while. <laughs> I'm ready. I, I, we I, actually, I, I, I think we would invite it. Bring it on. Yeah. I'm ready. Get in that tube-way system between Washington, D.C. and Washington State. <laughs> Yeah, come up, come up to Baltimore, and we'll we'll we'll, 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 we'll take you on. We'll take you on. Yeah. So, of all the letters, that's the one that. Uh, that's really great, though. That's I like awesome. that. <laughs> Thanks to whoever wrote that. That's that's really good. That's my favorite letter ever. <laughs> all right. So, um, so one thing we've talked about because uh, you know, work is going to continue. Is should we go once a month versus twice a month? So that's something we're talking about, and we're not really sure yet. So. So I think the, the the honest truth is, we'll put them out when we can. Well, I say we're probably going to put out one at least once a month, but maybe that, more. That's ideal. Yeah. I think we. I, I think what we'll do is like one a month minimum. If we have time, we'll right. do two. Right. There might be special reasons to do them twice a month, like the console releases coming up and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. There's a so. lot of cool stuff coming up. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just don't remove us from your uh, from your subs- RSS, you know, your subscriptions or whatever, because we'll we'll keep putting them out. You know, uh, guaranteed, you'll know when we go off, because we'll have at least one more show where we tell everyone what we think of them, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll go out, we'll go out in style, so you'll know yeah. when we're done. That's a great idea. If we do go off the air, we'll have like a grand finale where 
We really just go nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, but it is a great time to be a gamer. There's a lot of things it going is. on. The holiday there's, season is coming up, all the releases. There's a lot of huge games <clears throat> being released. We have Bully, Guitar Hero 2, Zelda's coming out, Final Fantasy 12, and there's this little game called Gears of War. I don't know if you've heard of that. But, there's a uh, couple little uh, accessories like the PlayStation 3 coming out, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and the Nintendo Wii. Yeah, yeah, the Nintendo Wii. But uh, but and uh, if you guys haven't seen the South Park, that's about the Nintendo Wii. You got to see that. If either uh, go to iTunes and download or something, it's really funny. I gotta say, I'm personally kind of sad because uh, World of Warcraft: Burning Crusade has been postponed till January. Um, but you know, I guess I'll live. Oh, they still have PC games. <laughs> I, they, they do. They still time. do. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what are we doing this time? What's this show about? I think, uh, aren't we talking about like the limited lifespan of current consoles? <clears throat> exactly. The fragility of the current generation of consoles. Fra- fragility. The, fragility. Fragility. <laughs> They're all made out of peanut brittle. And um, Epics. A game company called Epics. Uh, people that uh, had Commodores probably familiar with that name. They even made stuff for other uh, computers They made stuff well. for the Apple II also. All right. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? Uh, episode number fourteen. Here we are. Let's go. Woohoo! All right. It's time for the discussion. This time we're talking about the limited lifespan of current consoles. So what does that really mean, Tom? Well, I think it means that we, being old school gamers who started out with the old consoles of the 1980s, that those consoles, a lot of them still work today. We still own them. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to repair them or anything. They just still work. Right. But, that's, that's exactly right. But if you contrast that to the current generation of consoles or, the, or recent generations of consoles, it seems like the further you go... You know, the more problems you have as you get into the more recent ones, which right. seems like it ought to be the reverse, right? Right. You, you would think that the older stuff, the technology was worse then, it would break, and the stuff today would be just bulletproof and rock yeah. solid. But it's just the opposite. Why is that? So when did it... I mean, for me, it kind of started when they introduced the disc-based consoles. You know? well, well, that's exactly it. It's, uh, it's the matter of solid state versus the technology with moving parts because the by far the vast majority of breakdowns in all the new consoles are the 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 disc the the player i I think that was true but we'll get to uh other failures (laughs) there there are others now dealing with the power consumption but i I think far and away it was like the move away from solid state same reason mp3 players out there the ones with hard drives are far more failure prone than the ones that are just based on flash drives right so if i look back at like the my playstation one the only way i get it to play games today is by turning it upside down how does that help? Because I guess the laser is closer to the, the disc surface uh-huh. or something like that, but that's the only way it plays yeah. now. Yeah. You have to flip the thing upside down. And if you look at something like the PlayStation 2 when that launched, man, they had tons of problems with the initial batch of PlayStation 2. My first PlayStation 2, 2 died because of the laser. Was and it? then uh, and, and the, even the one at my second one now, it'll only play when I have it uh, vertical. Probably the same thing, right? Yeah. The laser, the way it's... Something's loose. Well, that, that could also be like the motor isn't strong enough to run it when it's flat. I don't know. Just something. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so I mean, definitely both generations of PlayStations have had their issues. And even the handhelds now, look at the handhelds today, like the PSP. How many people had dead pixel issues with the PSP? And yeah. even that happened even with the Nintendo DS, right? Right. That was fairly common, dead pixels on the LCD screen. 
and uh, the DS had a hinge issue. Well, yeah, now that has nothing to do with with anything else. You know, I mean, that's just like, with uh, that's with, just that's just flawed design. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I, I guess I don't remember those problems on my Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Well, but the, <laughs> the, the hinge issue is is a difference from the Atari Twenty Six Hundred because back yeah. back then the point was there were no moving parts. Yeah. If anything broke, it'd be the switches. You know, you have right. trouble making the reset yeah. button work. Yeah. But. Now there are, to be fair, there are a lot of Twenty Six Hundreds that are dead now. Right, but the, but I did, but I yeah. So this is all for us a feel kind of thing, but yeah, it yeah. definitely seemed like those lasted right. longer. Maybe it was a feel thing until we get to the uh, Xbox 360, and I think that's not a feel thing. I think uh, it has <laughs> a much higher failure rate than any other console I've ever seen. And right. it, Do you think you're especially sensitive to this since yours broke? <laughs> <laughs> um, that might have something to do with it. But the thing is, here's the thing about the Xbox 360 that I have never seen another console. It's that if I put my hand in the back, it literally is is you know burning up, uncomfortable. It's hot. Like the thing is running seriously hot, and I've never heard of that with another console where it gets that warm. And right. the, and Microsoft, like when I turned in my Xbox to uh, get it repaired, they're like, "Well, do you have it in an enclosed space?" It's like, can you think of another console where they would have asked you that question? Like, hey, you bought this, but you can't put it in an enclosed space. You can't put it in your entertainment center. Right. Basically, it's... you have to put it in your refrigerator with some wires leading out. <laughs> yeah. And so so why why is that? Does, does that seem kind of weird? It seems very weird. And if you think about it, if you look at like people's entertainment systems, most of those are going to have an enclosed space. Either completely, or maybe only the back or the front's going to be open, but the right. sides are going to be closed. I mean, you're going to put it under your TV, right? I mean, right. it's not like it's going to be out in the middle of the room. It's going to be, yeah. you know, in an entertainment unit. Well, these things are basically PCs, and PCs aren't meant to be in a in an audio cabinet. Right. Well, here's my thing: is it is it really? I think it might be the form factor, right? Because if yeah. you put a 360 in a PC case, it would probably be fine because it would have enough, you know, you air it's, circulation. It's too small. Yeah. I mean, it's like a laptop. You know, if you try to put that, that's why laptops don't usually have as fast a processor, or you know, because it gets too hot. Right. And it seems to me that right now, with this current generation of consoles, where it's all about we need all this power, so we're competitive. They're trying to. You know, do that, but they're trying, trying to keep the same form factor. And I think that's probably you know a potential problem, right? Yeah, well, and I think that it's a classic flaw of Microsoft. They've long uh, prioritized form over function and making sure it looks be- it looks best most of the time rather than works best most of the time. Um, unfortunately, from what I've heard, uh, Sony in trying to compete for the PS3 is go is gonna fall to the same and that's, problems. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what I was going to say, is that I don't think the PS3 is going to be much different. I mean, yeah. it, it consumes the same, or I think more power, yeah. and, and people are saying it runs hot as well. Because historically, Sony did well. The PlayStation 2, it packed a lot of power, but in, in, in a small case, but it, it there was no overheating issues with the PlayStation 2, but I think in tr- Sony trying to meet or beat Microsoft with their Xbox 360, they're going to have the same problem. They're going to try and put it in a small case, and they're going to have the heating problems too. Is the PS2, is it power supply internal? Is that what the problem is? Or is it... Uh, the PS2? Oh, sorry. Uh, PS3. PS3. No, the, the old one. The PS2. The PS2 power supply, yeah, is internal. It's, it's internal, internal, but it doesn't have the heat problem. Was okay. it? I, I don't remember a converter. It wasn't the DC converter. Yeah, there's a DC converter. DC converter, but the whole power supply... I think well, I guess that's what I meant. The DC converter—that's the part that's, that's external hard. on the PlayStation Two. But the yeah. PS3, I think it's going to be it's internal. internal. It's PS3 internal. is going to be internal. definitely internal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which I think a... is part of the problem. Yeah. Not... Mm-hmm. Well, the 360 is external. 
Yeah. And, it's and still I heard hot. there's still problems with yeah, that thing overheating. That thing gets super hot. <laughs> now, here's the thing about the 360. Um, there's a form, you know, NeoGAF. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but they have a list on there, and there's like 150 people on the list, and it grows every day of the people that have had 360 failures. So it's <laughs> definitely a high number. Well, but 150 out of how many well, units have uh, they sold? Like hundreds of thousands? No, no, no. 150 total, but of that forum. So okay. that forum isn't the whole population, right? So, right. So one forum having 150 members with that problem. The, the cross-section of people who've gone to that website and have an Xbox 360, for the cross-section of those two yep. things to be 150 people is massive. Yeah, and a lot of them have three and four times their consoles have <laughs> failed. So <laughs> I don't know what that tells you. And also, um, IMSJN from our forum, he only has had his for, what, four months now, and his already failed. And um, he pointed me to a website that talked about how to fix the problem. And it appears what it is, like one of the main problems is the fact that the solder points get real hot. Mm-hmm. And then it, you get cracked solder joints. And that's what's causing the problem. So they have a tutorial of how you can take it apart, heat up the solder, lay a different layer of solder down, and then your console starts working. Yeah, I watched that thing, and that yeah. was scary. That was yeah. like, what? You have so, to do that? But it makes sense, though. If they're not doing a good job soldering, and it's getting super hot, mm-hmm. it's going to crack, yeah. and then you're going to have these kind of issues. So. I also know that's a classic uh, engineering flaw when they try and skimp on the solder. I've heard of other electronic things. I can't remember offhand. I'll try to remember it. But I remember there's another issue. Back in the day, other electronics have had problems where the company tries to cut down on the amount of solder they use and it ends up being problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing Microsoft did the same thing. I thought only Chris was allowed to say back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So uh, what's what's kind of sad, too, is uh, a lot of people were saying that um, they had issues after that, that update that just happened, the fall update. And yeah. uh, Microsoft's still charging a 140 to fix Fix their their uh, three sixty software. Or, yeah, so some well, people some, yeah. some people got that update and it, it basically broke the three sixty. Is that's, that right? Yeah, that's what they're saying. It worked fine for me, but yeah, yeah. So if you go in and resolder your Xbox, is that void the warranty? Oh, of warranty? course. Yeah. I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. Great. People are doing this for their consoles that are out of warranty, where I they see. would have to pay the hundred forty bucks or whatever. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess the question I have, you know, do you think it's going to get better? Or do you think it's going to continue to get worse? Hmm. In future console generations, oh, it's well, the, get worse. the trend seems to be to get worse. <laughs> yeah, that they're they're trying to put more. They're trying to do more in a smaller space with less. And sell for four hundred dollars. But it, and, it just mm-hmm. kind of screws the consumer. I mean, you got to buy the. I just don't see well, how people all, are going to put up with it. All we have to look forward to is one more I mean, console, bef- the, and then we got five more year wait. So the real question is: Is the <laughs> PS3 going to have this problem or not? The thing that's weird about it is if you look at other technologies. Like, if other things worked the way this worked, then cars today would break down way more often than right. the Model T Ford. You know, I right. mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense when you consider other uh, consumer products, right? I mean, mm. normally, as the technology gets more advanced, you, it becomes more reliable. And I don't know if the, is that, is that true, though, like, for all things like that? Because, I mean, I my parents had, like, the same refrigerator forever, and then they got a new one, and it failed, like, in two years. <laughs> so, it, I think a lot of it might just be that now... There's a lot of outsourcing going on to build these components and to compete on price to put these electronics together. And maybe they're just more shoddy than they were in the past. I don't know. But I don't think that's the case with consoles because I think it's all about form factor and, and trying mm-hmm. to squeeze too much in a little box. You know what I mean? Well, do you think consumers would actually not buy something because it uh, has a, a flaky reputation? I, I, I think, think, yeah. I think it could definitely. It could, but but people are waiting in lines for Xboxes and PS. 
PlayStations. And well, those people won't, but the PlayStation 2 is still the highest selling console out there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, they waited till now. Yeah. And, but if the PS2 was flaky, uh, maybe a lot of those people wouldn't be buying it. Yeah. That's true. So, do we even care? Is this going to change? Does not matter? <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're a slave to corporate. I don't know. There, there, there's a thing about, like, if you're going to be the early adopter and go buy something the day it launches, by definition, you're not going to know whether it's yeah. it's reliable and going to break a year from now. Cause, I mean, to, to even know that, you have to wait a lot around and see what the track record of the console is. I will say the, the, the reports of heat, overheating problems with the 360 really made me not eager to jump out and grab it because when it came out i kept thinking should i just go for it should i just yeah. go for it and then there were problems with it overheating and i just it really it was one of the, it wasn't the only deciding factor but it was definitely something i weighed in the pros and cons about whether i should go now or wait mm-hmm. a few months maybe wait for another uh revision of the hardware so here's what i'd recommend for anybody who gets a 360 uh go buy the two-year warranty for i think it was 60 dollars it's definitely worth it. If you have any problems within two years, they'll replace your console for free. So, um, you know, if you're unsure, I mean, Xbox 360 is a great machine. I love playing it. The games are great, but there are issues with stability. So, if you're going to do it, I would definitely recommend getting the extended warranty. And I, I would probably buy it on any new console, the extended warranty, because certainly, yeah, probably mm-hmm. a good idea. Although mm-hmm. Nintendo's never had a problem like this. Well, I wonder what Nintendo's the Wii's not have. exactly pushing the uh, envelope right. in terms of technology right. either. So. <laughs> right. so I think that might be a difference. But All right. So uh, I guess we've kind of covered that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so on to uh, what we're currently playing. Now we're into what we're playing now. All right, and uh, on this segment of what we're playing now, we have a listener with us. Uh, those of you who uh, are members of the forum, he really needs no introduction to you, but to everybody else uh, who doesn't know, uh, he's been listening to this show probably from the very beginning, and it is the the Brass, and he's probably our youngest listener. He's at, uh, I think you're 14, is that right? Yeah. All right, and he's going to join us for the what we're playing now segment, but um, first up we have Dave, and Dave, what are you playing now? I've, uh, <laughs> Come on, Dave. What have you been playing? Oh, uh, so I've been playing a little bit of the ship still. I'm getting kind of sick of that. Finally, there was a there was a big online um, uh, free for all on uh, on uh, what is it called the, the the ship network? What's it called? Right. I think they gave it away for free, like for the weekend or something like that. Steam. That's Steam, what I'm right? Yeah, yeah Steam, Steam network. Away. We gave it away for weekend, and all these people. All these people jumped on. It was uh, it was kind of fun to see everyone playing, but I I got um, it, it's growing old for me. Um, I also have been watching a lot of other people play Gears of War, <laughs> yeah, including really? uh, including Chris. Right? Yes, hey, that wasn't for very long, but a lot of people have been playing it at work. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm about sick of watching people play Gears of War. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, this last weekend, I uh, we had an Xbox Fest at uh, at a friend's ha- friend of mine's house, and uh, we played a. Rumble, no roses. Rumble, 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 rumble roses. roses. Yeah. yeah, and uh, the Xbox 360 one. The, the Xbox one? 360 game. There's, there's more than one version. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, there was a PS2 version too. Sorry to show my ignorance, but man, this game, <laughs> what is up with this genre? <laughs> well, well, for you, why don't you explain for those who haven't seen the game what it is? Well, it's a, it's a bunch of women wrestling, and, and uh, it, what's wrong with that? I don't nothing. <laughs> well, I guess that's that's what it is. It's all it is, and it's it's all about uh, cleavage, as far as I can tell. Yeah. It's getting <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, computer-generated women. All right. Um, well, there you go. And I guess that has a lot of appeal to some people, but I I was really mystified. It wasn't. I guess I I, I played it. I tr- I uh, uh, and I didn't really find. Uh, it wasn't didn't seem that that good of a game, except for all this cleavage. I, is there part. a game too? I didn't know there was a game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like a wrestling version of Dead or Alive volleyball or something. Right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah that's, in fact, I was going to say that reminds me of the volleyball game on, where you're stuck on an island with all these women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the 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 uh, polygons are a lot a lot more well defined now. With the 360, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So so that's about what I, that's what I've been into. What have you been doing, Woody? Um, we've been busy at work, so I don't have time to play real video games, but I uh, found there's an awesome Sudoku website out there called Sudoku Slam, if anyone's into that. I won't go too far into it, because I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I play Sudoku, and I won't explain that it. That is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I play uh, Sudoku, too, so... <laughs> it's pretty If good. Tom plays it, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I've been playing the, the new Pirates game I, I mentioned a few, a few months ago, and, um, and but I, the thing I'm most excited about these days, I've seen... Uh, seen the ex the uh, Gears of War in action, and I think it's finally it's it's the first thing I've seen that says I need to get the Xbox. <laughs> All right, finally, it's about so, time. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's coming. Are you going to get one then? Yeah, yeah, All I'm right. going to get one. That's cool. Just in time to wish you had the PS3 instead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. they are only games for the PS3. Yeah, I don't know. we'll get yeah. to that later, I guess. All right, so uh, so Tyson the Brass, what have you been playing? Uh, yeah, I'm actually been playing like uh, a lot of games lately. Yeah. I've rent, rented Winnesville uh, Double Agent. I've also rented, uh, actually by mistake, I've rented Madden 06 instead of 07. <laughs> by mistake? How did you make a mistake and rent that? Yeah, yeah, it, they put 06, they put 06 behind 07, like, the <laughs> and then I rented out 06 by mistake. I just, I just reached behind 07 without even <laughs> and then now they're not giving me a refund. Oh, oh that's really sad. That's that. lame. You could have probably bought 06 by for as much as it cost you to rent it. Yeah. So I'm just playing <laughs> older version of crap. And that, I've also been playing uh, Elder Scroll Oblivion. Oh, really? Not for PC. Yeah, not for Xbox. For PC. How far are you? And uh, uh, I'm like around 60%. I haven't really done the main story. I've just been doing all the guild stuff. And uh, haven't really been, I haven't really got... Ah, see, he's like me. He likes the side missions, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm still at that point of like being over overwhelmed. There's like so much stuff to do. Yeah. And uh, I've also been playing. I actually played the last weekend. I played the ship. That's cool. The ship's free trial there that the Dave was talking about. Yeah. Oh, nice. You probably, Did you kill probably, Dave? Probably <laughs> <pulling> Dave. <laughs> And what did you think? It was pretty. It was, a, it was a mad fest. Everyone trying to get online. It was all the servers were filled. What, yeah, what would okay, you think of it? First, the first problem: all the rooms that have like ten on. They're all full. Like most of the ship rooms are all full when I was playing. I don't know. So I had to join a room with like four out of ten always because they're like all full. And also, it was like the the ship servers are like pretty laggy. Maybe the ones that I joined. It was like they started getting like real lag spikes and started lagging out a lot. Oh, it was it it was really laggy for me. It was isn't wasn't like that uh, before this weekend. It was, I think it was a special lag just yeah. for this weekend. Nice. And yeah. It just, it just bored me. It was like well, after a while, it bored me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I kind of liked it, but uh, I can see how it can bore people who are do more of the shooters. And I've also I play uh, Counter Strike Source. How do you like that? I, I'm playing all the old games because I get everything late. Counter Strike Source, yeah, it's fine. 
I just 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 got Steam and uh, with all the games and stuff. And uh, I've also been playing Medi. I just today the Medieval Two demo that was added to Steam. Medieval Two. Yeah, it's like this RTS. Oh yeah. It's pretty fun. It's, it's hard too because you gotta like have strategy. And yeah, that my dad's house. You know, you gotta go uh, do play some retro games. So my dad's house have a N64, and I was just playing Super Smash Bros with my brother and GoldenEye N64. Oh, some of the yeah. classic Nintendo 64 games. Which I find is like, yeah, yeah, GoldenEye 64 I find is like, to me is like almost just as fun as Halo 2 is like playing with your friends in the multiplayer matches. Yeah, it's a fun game. In terms of the gameplay, GoldenEye is probably one of the, as good as any shooter yeah. in terms of the multiplayer yeah. gameplay. I know, it's not graphic-wise, but it's just so fun. Like, uh, multiplayer definitely. That and, yeah, that's all I've been playing. Well, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Well, I guess that brings us to Chris. What, what have you been playing, Chris? I've been playing a lot of stuff. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, since we took the little hiatus, I had plenty of time. But uh, one thing that I picked up recently um, was Dungeon Siege, uh, Throne of Agony for the PSP. How's yeah. that? It's pretty good. It's like your typical dungeon crawler type game. but Is it like Diablo, that kind of it's thing? It's very Diablo-like. But the reason I picked it up is because when I'm standing in line for my PS3, I wanted something to do. <laughs> and I figured this would be the perfect game. That's why you're going to borrow my PSP battery from me That's later right. tonight? I need, I'm going to have two batteries handy for the, uh, for the, the big, big camp out. The big huh? camp out for the PS3. And here in Portland, the weather it couldn't be worse for camping out for the <laughs> PS3. It's like cold and rainy and high winds, just nasty. And Chris is going to be out in front of some Target or something. Like hey, bring up. it on, bring it on. It just means there's less... Irritating people around me because they're not going to come right. out in the weather. So, but the game's really good. Um, I just, you know, I haven't got that far into it, but and I usually don't like these kind of games. But actually, I started playing it. And it was pretty cool. I like how you level up. It's you know, it's your, it's pretty much everything you would expect, but in a handheld type game. So I thought it was pretty cool. If you don't like these sort of games, usually, what made you buy this one for the PSP? Mostly because I wanted something that wasn't an action game, something I could just play off and on, something more thoughtful. Exactly, something mm-hmm. I could just pick up, level up a little bit, you know, fight some monsters, you know, put it back in sleep mode and come to it, you know, <laughs> some other time. And I figured it'd be perfect for camping out because it's uh, if I'm camping out for you know. 13 hours or whatever I'm going to be camping out. I figure I can get, you know, into the game a bit. Not too far. Uh, on the PS2, I played Bully, which uh, I don't know if you play anybody here played that I game. I haven't played it yet. It's on my game no, list. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's, looking uh, forward to it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's get, getting really good reviews, and it's a fun game, but to me, uh, you know, it's it's just a lot like Grand Theft Auto, you know. I, I, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, a lot of it feels like Grand Theft Auto. But you're not I mean, shooting and stuff, right? But you're beating people up. So, mm. I mean, it's, you know, it's a different, you know, game, but it, it is pretty similar. It's cool to be in the school, to do that kind of stuff, you know, to be in that kind of atmosphere, to fight the bullies and that kind of stuff. But I, to be honest, I've played it maybe four or five hours, so I'm not really that far into it, but... Uh, overall, it's a decent game, but I, to me, it's probably not something I'm going to play a whole lot more of with all the new games that are come out on the 360. Yeah, I heard it wasn't that good, Bully. Yeah. On the 360, I played uh, Rainbow Six The Vegas demo. Have you checked that out yet, Tom? No, I haven't had time. Is it good? It is awesome. Uh, that game is something, you know, as soon as I finish up Gears, that's a game I'm going to jump onto next. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it uses a similar cover system. You know, but you use the left um, trigger button to go into cover and out of cover. Mm-hmm. And it's a much better game in terms of how you direct the different people on your team. Uh, you basically can right. tell them where to go, what to target. 
You can scale down buildings, all kinds of stuff. It's very, very cool. The graphics are good, and uh, and it's in Vegas, so the demo isn't really... Is it like the real Vegas with the real landmarks, or is it like a fantasy Vegas? It has the real landmarks, but the casinos aren't named the same thing, because, uh, uh, I don't know, issues, copyright whatever, issues. but yeah. But the cool thing is, um, you know, the demo doesn't go into a lot of the casinos, but from what I hear is, you know, you do fight in the casinos, and you can hear coins and all this kind of stuff going on, so that just sounds <laughs> awesome, and cool. it looks good. Uh, Call of Duty 2 I'm playing, uh, played as well. I'm still playing Veteran Difficulty. Right. I'm finally, I'm like halfway through Hill 400 on Veteran. So I have that and one more U.S. mission, and then I'm finally done with that game. So you must be getting a lot of uh, achievement points for yeah. playing on Veteran, huh? Yeah, I only have those last two missions to go, and then, I, then I'm done with it. And what's funny, and I'll get to Gears of War in a bit, but uh, I hear a lot of people complain that Gears of War is hard on the hardcore difficulty, but mm-hmm. after playing uh, Call of Duty 2, it seems pretty easy to me <laughs> on Veteran Difficulty. Uh, I played Fear for a little bit on the 360. I'm not a big fan of that. The problem there is I felt like the conversion was just a straight PC conversion. The controls aren't very tight. Uh, it doesn't uh-huh. seem like they put a lot of effort into making it work well on the PC controller. I mean, on the, on the Xbox controller. It feels very PC-like, like it was a one-to-one mapping. And as soon as I got Gears of War, I'm, I haven't played it since. So, <laughs> And obviously the game I've been playing the most is Gears of War. Uh, this game is awesome on the 360. Uh, it... I only have a couple complaints about it. One is I think it's probably too short because I'm already on the fourth portion and um, so I only have one more section to go after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I don't like that they did, and this is kind of a minor nitpick, is sometimes you have to kind of get through the little introduction scenario over and over if you die. And you have mm-hmm. to keep listening to it, and I find that kind of irritating. Right. You know what I mean? Setting it up. But um, Although gra- I think you can pause in the cutscenes in Gears It's not of War. a cutscene. It's like, you know how they have the cutscenes and they have these other ones where it puts you in the slow walking mode where you can still kind of look around but you can't do anything uh, and it goes through the dialogue? Yeah. There's a lot of times that'll happen right before a hard section, so every time you die, I you see. have to still go through that. That's sort of irritating. I haven't played much of the multiplayer, but I hear that um, there are issues, you know, with the. Uh, with the uh, ranked matches and not being able to have your friends in those. So, uh, but I haven't done that much multiplayer yet. The thing I got to say about this game, the graphics are awesome, but probably what's more impressive to me is the sound, the sound and the, the yeah. subwoofer and the, it's kind of got an orchestrated soundtrack and it just, just feels like, you know, very professionally done and a solid game. So, um, I don't know. I, I just really like Gears of War. What about you, Tom? What are you playing? Well, I just got Gears of War. I haven't spent too much time at it yet, but I like it. Um, we're going to have a new segment about Gears of War also where we'll talk about it some more. Um, one thing I think about Gears of War is that the graphics in Gears of War are very nice. They're very good. Of course, everybody's talking about the graphics, how good they look. For me, when I play Gears of War, the graphics are actually so good that I stop even thinking about them, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. It's like... When the graphics get to a certain point where they just draw you in so much, you don't even look at them anymore because you're just having the experience of playing that game. You're not even thinking, oh, this looks good or this looks bad or that's a good texture or I see jaggies. You're not even thinking about that at all because it just sucks you into the the virtual reality of the game yeah. so much that you don't even pay attention. And in a way, that's like the ultimate success of graphics is yeah. if you don't even think about them. And you're just thinking about the gameplay and the story and what's going on. See, what's weird to me about Gears of War is uh, 
that's different from a lot of other games I play is I'll play other games and I want to play them, but sometimes I kind of feel like, eh, I don't know if I want to play it. You know, it's kind of sometimes a little bit, you know, I, I don't know if I want to play it. It's a bit of an effort to even play it. But with Gears of War, I just, I don't feel that. I just, you know, I play it and it's just like I keep wanting to play it. You know, I haven't. And I remember Cliff, uh, Cliffy B, he had a blog post a while back asking, you know, when a game has it, you know, that it yeah, quality. Right, right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it, and it to me, it does have it because I, when I play it, I don't really think about that I'm playing a game or that, you know, there's other things I could be doing. I just kind of get lost in the, in playing the game. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're saying the same thing. You just get sort of sucked into it. You stop really thinking about the game and its production values you're just playing. Anyway, a couple other games. Again, I haven't played a whole lot lately. Like Chris, I've been busy at work, and I've been doing other things, but uh, LEGO Star Wars 2 on the 360, still playing that quite a lot. The big advantage of that game for me is it has a really good co-op mode, and I can play it with my girlfriend. And for those of you who are either married or you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, like a game you can play co-op together is magic. That's great. It just it gives you something. And someday to... we'll actually try Gears of War on co-op as soon as Tom gets on when I'm on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So that's really fun. I'm still enjoying that. I, I got to the third movie in LEGO Star Wars 2 now. Um, and then finally, Okami on the PS2, which is a great game. It's very different. Um, it's a typical game that if you you know pitch this game, it would sound like a terrible idea. Because it's basically a game where you go around doing calligraphy and solving puzzles. And, it's basically Zelda, though, and, in a lot and of that, ways. That kind of sounds horrible, but it's really, really fun. Yeah. And there's something really magical about seeing the thing that you drew kind of become real and come to life it's just very rewarding to me it's one of the coolest very innovative games that i've seen in a long time yeah i played it a little bit too the problem i have with it is i think it would take me too long to finish it and i just have too many other games right now i want to yeah, play yeah it's kind of long and it's kind of slow um and but the graphics are cool i mean even though they're not you know next gen graphics they're really well done in terms of the artistry of it yeah. and the color schemes and everything the way everything works, you know, you're basically drawing calligraphy with the analog stick, and you can draw stuff in it, and it's sort of you're, you have godlike powers, so it becomes real, and you're kind of animating the world into life. It's really neat. It reminds me of the first time I saw Parappa the Rapper or something yeah. like that, where it's like a totally different kind of gameplay that really hasn't been done before. So mm. I, I have to respect <clears throat> it for that. And uh, I, I have one more <clears throat> one more thing I wanted to mention uh, it, that I did uh, during the vacation. Is uh, I put Linux on my Nano. All right. Do you yeah, remember this, yeah, Tom? Yeah. I show this to you. I show yeah, this to you Woody. Show me so this. I play. I've been playing on your iPod Nano. On my iPod Nano, yeah. I put Linux on it, and it can dual boot to the normal Apple OS as well as the uh, iPod Linux. And one <laughs> thing I've been playing on it is they have uh, the any they have an NES emulator on it, and it's awesome. It's like spot on. So I've been playing uh, Super Mario Brothers on my iPod <laughs> Nano, and it rocks. I gotta say, it rocks. So if anybody has an iPod Nano out there. Uh, and wants to know how to do it, just uh, ping me at the forum, and I'll uh, give you instructions. I can type them out, you know, all the steps to do to install it. It doesn't destroy any of the music you have, so uh, it's it's definitely cool and fun to play. All that's right. about it. That's about it for what we're playing. Uh, just want to thank Tyson, the brass, for being with us tonight. He's been a loyal listener and very active on the forum, so thank you. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you, too, and uh, I just want to say... You're doing a good job with uh, this podcast. Thanks, All right, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right, and on to the next segment.
news you can use. All right, it's time for the news. Take it away, Tom. All right, well, the first story involves Gears of War, which we talked about in our opening segment. An EA executive uh, named Alan Tascan, general manager for EA Montreal, says he thinks the, EA, the, the uh, Gears of War title has been overrated by reviewers. Nice. Overrated. In a panel discussion at Montreal Games Summit, Tascan said, quote, What is Gears of War? I mean, Gears of War brings nothing in terms of innovation to the shooter, like zero. <laughs> <laughs> He's jealous. <laughs> he then used the comparison of a nice-looking girl you might see in a bar and go up and talk to. And he says, quote, and if she's smart enough, that's the gameplay. I don't even know what that means. I don't even understand that. What is that? I don't get that. I read that like three or four I times. I don't get it either. And I don't, I don't even right. understand what that's supposed to mean. But okay. What that so means he, is he was desperate for a, a slam, and that was him talking off the top of his head. Yeah. So... so so, Gears of War is a good-looking girl, and the gameplay is the fact that she's smart? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe she just needs a $60 drink, and then, then she's but yours. okay, so... So, whatever, but... So, you know, I've got to say, innovation is all great in games. That's, I love innovation. That's what I look forward to. But at the same time, there's another thing you look for in a game, is just when it all comes together and gels. And I don't know, we were talking earlier about, we call it the it factor, which is a cliche, but it's just a matter of sometimes everything just comes together and makes the whole game, the game as a whole, be better than some of its parts. And I think Gears of War seems to be one of those, where it's just, yeah. it's just everything is done right. I think you're missing the point, though, Woody. This is an EA exec. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 but look at that. Okay, so it's an EA exec. So what's the last innovative thing they did? Was it Madden 07 or Madden 06 or Madden 05 or 04, 3? Or 85. Or, yeah. <laughs> or maybe Need for Speed Carbon or Need yeah. for Speed Underground yeah. or Need for Speed. I mean, there's, and this is a standard EA thing, right? They do sequels. That's how they make their money. It's like the Microsoft model for like op, you know, Office. Yeah. I mean, well, Gears so, of War isn't a sequel. It, I know that's my point. It's is an it, original story with original characters. So, and, well, why would EA, you know, of all people, make have, this statement? They I mean, don't have the right to criticize. They don't have innovative games. I don't know. I, I think that Gears of War, of course, if you've seen a shooter, if you've seen Halo Two, there's going to be some elements in common, but. It has really nice graphics, and it has this very good cover system that emphasizes the importance of taking cover, how you get in, how you get out of cover, different ways of firing. You can fire without looking. You can fire with looking and aiming that exposes you more. There, there's some subtlety to it that that is refining an existing and the gameplay. movement between cover is really cool. Like yeah. the way you can just switch between one and the other, or go over the top. Right. There are all sorts of like special moves you can activate yeah. with the stick to yeah. of how you get from one cover to the next. And then the, I, I really like the running. Yeah. The, that the yeah. way that you run, it it makes it you, you go into this mode where you're sort of ducking and running at the same time. Yeah. And it seems real frantic, and you have a little bit less um, maneuverability when you're running. Run. Yeah, it, you have a different maneuverability that's less, and you have a, di- a little bit different um, view. It yeah. almost makes it seem like you go into a little bit of a tunnel vision when yeah. you run. They call it CNN, like a CNN type view with when they're yeah. following the footage. It's really and, cool. Yeah. It, it really adds to the atmosphere. So, is it a totally new game? No, but I think it's a really well done game, yep. and to. to to say that it's been overrated, it's polished. It's a very yeah, it's polished, polished game. I don't. I don't think it's legitimate to say it's been overrated. All right. So the next story is a Best Buy blames the PS3 pre-orders on a glitch. I don't know if you guys heard about this at all. This is great. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it was a couple Saturdays ago, and uh, 
Uh, I I went to Neil Gaff whatever and uh, it Chris was po- Chris who sits on the forums looking for any news exactly they were like hey pre-orders PS3 and I'm like dude check it out so I went on to Best Buy clickety 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 click and I pre-ordered my PS3 and actually it's I've got the printout behind you Tom of my receipt from it <laughs> and uh, and pretty much everybody was looking all over the weekend at you know is this going to go through because it was weird because Best Buy never really said they were going to have pre-orders and it turns out that uh, they blamed uh, the ability to do a pre-order on a glitch and uh, they canceled everybody's orders and uh, gave them $10 to Best Buy. <laughs> so, can, and we're all software engineers. Uh, how, how exactly does this glitch happen where they have a page completely set up for pre-orders and it turns off after so many orders were taken, um, uh, but yet they were never going to do pre-orders? How, how exactly does that happen? Is that some, a some, some, Is that Someone a, uh, ordered that. Or someone asked uh, the web developers to put that page together. Why? And either didn't, didn't decide not to pull the trigger or... Well, they pulled the trigger because it was live. <laughs> or someone <laughs> pulled they pulled the trigger too early. Or it, maybe it was... Uh, I heard it was uh, for a company owner or company employees. It was a company employee site. Ah, it was supposed to be an internal. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Conspiracy theory. I feel like I got screwed by Best Buy on the whole deal. So I had to put it in the news just to, uh, you know, vent. (laughs) (laughs) All right, speaking of the PS3, uh, you know, there's been some changes in the uh, PS3 lineup, it appears, Tom. Yeah, a lot of games that we expected to see on the PS3 at launch have started to disappear <laughs> so or be delayed or been canceled. One's been canceled, so NBA Live 07, no longer in the lineup. Um, some have been delayed. So a week before launch, we've got Rainbow Six Vegas delayed till December, Full Auto 2 Battle Lines delayed till December, Blazing Angels Squadrons of World War II delayed until December. Not that great a game anyway. <laughs> um, Fear delayed off the launch list, Elder Scrolls Oblivion delayed to Q107, and Sonic the Hedgehog, a game that I thought might be really cool, Have delayed. you played the demo, Tom? Off the line. How could I play the demo of a the PS3 360 game? demo? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> but uh, delayed off the launch list. Now, delays are not necessarily bad because I'd rather see a game come out and work right than be rushed out and be buggy and terrible. But isn't this just a sign that they didn't get the dev kits out early enough for the PS3? But with all the other you well, know negative things we've yeah. been hearing about the PS3, you know, news like this is not encouraging. Yeah. I guess. All right, so the next story, uh, something about porn and bomb assembly. Uh, why don't you take that, Tom, since you're into that kind of thing? <laughs> which, which kind of thing, bomb assembly or porn? <laughs> um, okay, so there's this news story on Fox where the reporter cites an incident where a child brought his, quote, PlayStation pornable, <laughs> access the school's Wi-Fi connection, and showed friends naked pictures of women. And then the story... Shifted its focus to the presence of child sexual predators in online games. I, I need to get myself a PSP. That's all. <laughs> well, that's what I'm learning. It's the in thing. I mean, this is this seems completely crazy to me. First of all, yeah, with a Wi-Fi connection, you can put whatever you want on any device that has a Wi. It would be like if somebody xeroxed a picture of porn. Would you talk about the dangers of Xerox machines? I mean, it doesn't really make sense to I think single they did out back in the day to, to single out the <laughs> PSP and say this is a danger of the PSP is just ridiculous. Aren't then, there parental controls on the PSP anyway, though? I um, think there are. Are, are there? Yeah, I don't know. 
But the other thing is, okay, if you're going to talk about danger to children and, and sexual predators, we know where the sexual predators are now. They're in Congress. They're people like Mark Foley <laughs> who, who are making inappropriate advances to underage boys. They're people like Den- Dennis Hastert who's covering up for him in Congress. I mean, I think that they need to figure out what's wrong with our Congress before they start <laughs> figuring out what's wrong with the PSP. But well, is it, was, this was from Fox News, so... So they're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, the thing Fair is, and balance, that, baby. Fair and balance. They, they, they're, they're taking the fact that you could browse the internet at school on the, on, on the school's Wi-Fi. Without... You know, I can browse the internet on my cell phone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could view porn on the cell phone, right? Is, right. Is, is cell I'm not phones sure that you danger? could, Tom, but apparently you are very confident about that. <laughs> I'm guessing that you could. I don't have a cell phone, by uh, the way. I'm sure you can. One. I'm positive, actually. <laughs> I guess, I, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm, I'm sorry, 85523.comcast.net. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think this is just more of the typical hysteria story about video games equals, you know, danger to your children that's been going around forever. I mean, it's almost like we have to just categorically say, anytime they say, you know, video games or the PSP or whatever is some kind of categorical danger to children, it's just... It's It's, it's hype. It's basically hype. And that's Fox News trying to sell more commercials. Same thing happens with every new technology. I mean, why don't we just stop innovating, period? Won't somebody please think of the children? <laughs> <laughs> all right, and we're going to now, now talk about a story about the 10 worst games of all time. This is in uh, PC World. It was, uh, how do you pronounce that, Tom? Emru Townsend. Yeah, all right. So, uh, I don't know. This list is really, I'm not totally sold on it, but I figured it would be interesting to talk about it anyway. So, uh, number 10 uh, for the Nintendo DS, the worst game of all time by this Emru Townsend, is uh, Elf Bowling <laughs> for the Nintendo well, DS. Wasn't Elf Bowling a web-based it was, yes. game that was just a joke? Yeah, eventually, the they, apparently, they put it on the, on so, the Nintendo DS. So, why DS. would you pay for this on the know. Nintendo DS? So, do you think it belongs on the 10 worst games of all time? I don't know about 10 worst of all time, but yeah, it, it sounds like it at least is... Is uh, a candidate for that list. <laughs> it's at number ten. All right, number nine. Kind of a surprise for me. Uh, Prince of Persia: Warrior Within. Would you think that'd be in the top ten worst games of all time? No, definitely not. Um, this game certainly was a departure from the series in that it emphasized combat more, and it it, it almost became more like a Mortal Kombat kind of thing. It had heavy metal music in it, Tom. But Satan. worst of all time? I mean, no, I don't think so. It, it, it was actually kind of fun. All right, number eight, we have Make My Video. <laughs> so this was a game featuring Marky it's Mark. It's not really a, a game, I don't think. I think you had, like, Marky Mark and Criss Cross and CNC Music Factory and... In excess. You, you would create videos uh, using built-in clips and video effects. So I don't know if it even belongs in the list because it doesn't really sound like a game to me. Uh, okay, let's call it a digital entertainment. Yes. <laughs> so maybe it's... Well, it had Marky Mark. It's probably pretty bad. I haven't played it, but uh, I don't know. All right, number seven, we have a, a game that I remember uh, playing quite a bit. Uh, Shaq Fu. Shaq Fu. <laughs> I, I gotta say, the only thing wrong with this is that this isn't number one because Shaq... <laughs> Is my most hated person in the whole world, FYI. So, yeah. So, uh, apparently, uh, you know, it's pretty much like Mortal Kombat. I do remember this game. uh, And you had to hit your opponent in exactly the right spot to do any damage, which uh, I guess that's a bit limiting. But uh, apparently Shaq also uh, fought in his basketball uniform. So, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. So, were you Shaq or you were... I think you could be Shaq. It's a Mortal Kombat, so you can pick your oh. character, and one of them would be a Shaq wearing his basketball. What kind of, what kind of characters did Shaq fight? I, I don't Other remember, basketball dude. players? No, I think he fought, like... Hockey players? No, like <laughs> Shaolin monks? I think, it was like, yeah, I think it was, like, Shaolin monks and people with Shaq nunchucks goes to and Tibet. stuff all right. like that, yeah. Right. So, at number six... Worst hey. 10 games of all time. Smurf Rescue. No, this is sad because, you know what? I used to play this game a ton on my ColecoVision. <laughs> and I actually like this game. But what this reviewer says is true. What, what you would do is you would kind of go along. It was a side-scrolling thing. And you'd jump. You'd have to jump over, like, plants and stuff. If you, like, hit the plant, you'd die. I don't know why you would die by hitting a plant, but whatever. Poisonous. Get, I guess so. And you get to the end, and then you uh, go into uh, Gargamel's Castle. You know, right. and then you would uh, jump up on the uh, skull, and you'd uh, you'd save uh, Smurfette, and then you'd start it over again. Sweet. <laughs> but the problem with the game was you had to be completely exact when you did these jumps, or you would would die. Right. But I mean, I was really young. I had my ColecoVision, and I I kind of liked it. I'm sorry. I right. like I liked Smurfs. I was a big fan of Smurfs, so that might have something to do with it. Right. And you've always been a big platformer. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Yeah. All right, number five. Number five this is, is awesome. <laughs> is a shock because number five worst ten games of all time, according to this list, is Pac Man. Pac Man for the twenty six hundred, Tom. Oh, well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't I, say he that. He might not have said that, but I, that's got to be what he's it, talking it's about. It's Atari, nineteen eighty one. So Atari didn't make Pac Man. They made it oh. on their on. Yeah, and I saw the picture. He's talking okay. about twenty six hundred. Okay. If he's there talking about the twenty six hundred, yeah. then yeah, he's, talk, he's talking about Todd Fry. That was. Todd Fry, the first millionaire of video games. Yeah, you know, and yeah, we, we have... Why Fry? If really? Go, <laughs> why Fry? If you go back to our episode about Atari and you, and you listen to that, yeah, he, he was limited by the amount of memory on the cartridge. He yeah. couldn't make it exactly like the no, arcade games. He was limited by the cheap bastards at the time. Yeah, I think he was limited yeah. by being stoned most of the time. Have you seen him on that video? <laughs> why, and, fry, why not Fry? You know, I played Pac-Man on the Atari, and yeah, we complained that the, the things flashed. It wasn't exactly like the arcade, but was, I don't think it was the worst 10 of all it time. It might have had the worst sound of all time. I hated the sound oh, yeah. in that game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's I heard that on the that 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 clip on the radio like yeah. a few days ago, and I that's Pac-Man. <laughs> what are they talking about? Yeah, I, stupid sound. <laughs> I hate that game. I hated that game because I brought it home. My friends came over because I had to stand in a freaking line like I'm gonna have to do for the PS3 to get it because everybody's waiting outside. <laughs> and they all walk in the house and they play it. They're like, "This is nothing like Pac-Man." <laughs> made me feel bad for waiting in the line. So, all right, number four. Daikatana. Yeah, we've talked about this we've one. We've talked about this. Now, Chris, what was the the line from that ad about... Uh, he's going to kick my ass. He's going to make, make you his, you his bitch. bitch. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's going to make Well, me. what was the exact quote? I think it said he's going to make me his bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I just want to ask you this. Like, Can you imagine that line coming from some other designer? Like, you know, Will Wright's going to make you his bitch with Sims 3 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, I would get a different connotation. If I, I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. Anyway, Daikatana... <laughs> Didn't sell too well. Wasn't very well received. Uh, yes. May yes. not have been horrible to the extent that some of these other games were. But certainly from the the disparity between the hype and how it turned out. All right. Number three. Uh, this is a favorite of a lot of people, I believe. I, this is my favorite game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it, it goes for like 75 bucks on eBay. So I've, apparently I've, Dave's been looking. Been, dude, Dave's so been trying the, to get The game is, if you haven't guessed, Custer's Revenge. <laughs> Yeah, it stars a mostly naked General Custer. He wore boots and a hat, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, basically he uh, 
He has to go through this hail of arrows and field of cacti, which, if he's only wearing boots and a hat, is very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the goal, Chris? I believe he's supposed to uh, reach a woman of uh, Native American ancestry and engage in acts, apparently. Acts? Acts. Certain acts. Yeah. So this is like the, one t- of the, the first... type of acts that they might be text messaging about in Congress. The kind of acts that I think that they removed, or at least people found in uh, in Grand Theft Auto I or whatever. See. You know. So I give them props for the concept, but all I know is the pixel, the the quality of the graphics were so bad, it's not even worth it. Did you just say As... you're giving them props for the, con- <laughs> for the concept? <laughs> oh yeah, it takes guts to just put out something so so wrong. Bro- yes, <laughs> so <you>. wrong. <laughs> yes, wow, so vulgar. Uh, yeah, you got you got you got to give them credit for that. <laughs> okay, right. um, number two, yeah. Super Columbine Massacre RPG. Now, this is a game where you, it's a role-playing game where you reenact the Columbine High School shootings. Right. Yeah. So I can sort of see why this is at least I don't know if it's the worst game. I haven't played it, but it's certainly <laughs> a game in really, really poor probably taste. not the best concept for a game like really bad taste um making a game out of somebody's tragedy that you know yeah, led to horrible. real deaths i mean it would be make it would be like making a game out of 9 11 or something yeah it's not something i don't think do. that's a good subject for no. a game i really don't and, and the number one worst game of all time i mean this kind of has a special spot for oh. us because we've actually had the creator of this game <laughs> on the podcast yeah right so uh so why don't you go ahead and do the honors tom Number one, according to this list, uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600. Which, I'm, I'm not buying it. I really don't think that's the worst game of all I, time. I think that just it's just there because it's always there. Every list that's like this has that. Again, it's a, it's another game, sort of like Daikatana, where you know the expectations versus I think it the was expectation, right? Sales. I mean, it yeah. was... I, I think that's one of those things with any worst list. You have to kind of... The, 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 the degree to which a game is bad... Is a is a you multiply how bad it is by the expectations of the time, <laughs> right. and as you know, ET mediocre game, but the expectations were so high that makes it the worst game of all but, time. You know, Howard when he was on the show, he talked about how he had limited time to do it, and I, actually, I don't think the game's that bad if he had just fixed that stupid holes thing so he didn't fall in it. You know, when you really shouldn't. I think wouldn't have been, been much worse than the Pac Man. I think it was a better game than Pac Man. Yeah. Pac Man's not a very good. Well, game. what do you guys think about? Uh, are there games you think belonged on this list that weren't? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of games that belong <laughs> on this list that uh, that weren't. But uh, worst lists are always very personal. But yeah. I, 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 it's not not a terrible choices. But yeah, I don't know. I'm sure my. We should come up with our top ten worst games of all time ourselves. I think we should do that for a future episode. There we go. All right. The gauntlet has been laid down. (laughs) We're gonna have a worst list. Exactly. All right. And uh, the last news item is uh, coming up on uh, Black Friday. There's gonna be a bunch of deals for the Xbox 360 out there. Now, now Black Friday. I didn't know this. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving. Right. It's the Friday after. It's. I think it's because they're. A lot of retailers are in the red, and it's the day they're supposed to kind of go into the black. Right. Bigger right. shopping day yeah, of the it's, year. Yeah, it's the shopping day. It's when Christmas shopping officially begins. Yeah. All right, so at Best Buy for uh, $18.99, they're going to have uh, Rockstar Table Tennis, Condemned, Amp 3, and NBA Live 06. I really should have waited to buy te- Table Tennis yeah. when it was eighteen ninety nine. <laughs> Me too. I feel bad about it. But if anybody has And Condemned, too. Really. 360 and hasn't got Condemned, I completely recommend you pick that up. It's a great game. And for eighteen ninety nine, you know that's a great deal. I think I'm probably gonna pick up Amp Three, just to give it a shot for eighteen ninety nine. You played that before, right? That's a pretty fun game, actually. For I rented it, and I got I got pretty far through it in just the 
the five day rental, and it was pretty fun for eighteen bucks. Yeah, can't beat it. So uh, Circuit City is going to have a bunch of games for sixteen ninety nine. They're going to have Perfect Dark Zero, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, Quake Four, Gun, and Full Auto. Now of those, I don't think I'm going to buy any, <laughs> <laughs> mostly because I have a couple of them, and uh, well, uh, yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> enough said on that. All right, so it's on to uh, the retro respect section. All right, let's go. Time for the retro respect section. What are we talking about this time, Tom? It's going to be Epics, the company. That's E P Y X. Epics. Epics. So I was a big Commodore guy growing up. I had uh, multiple 64s. I had a Commodore 128, and I had an Amiga. So I was big into uh, the Commodore stuff. And Epics is one of the game, one of the companies I really remember being kind of one of the prominent Commodore. Uh, software vendors, but I know they made games for a bunch of different platforms, including the Apple II, so I guess. Right, and I also had a Commodore 64 and an Amiga. I even had a Commodore PET at one point. Wow. Yeah. You're the man and a half. I had a TI 994A. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest computer. Right. Well, one thing I remember a lot about Epics is when they were bringing out games, you knew it was going to be like a quality game. They didn't produce a lot of crap, I guess. Like most companies, the history that we're going to talk about is a bit different from what you might expect when you just played the games. At least when I started investing, I'm like, wow, I didn't know all this uh, all this happened. But um, but it all started back in 1977. What happened there, Tom? Well, uh, that was when Jim Connolly and John Freeman met at a game of Dungeons & Dragons. I think everything starts with Dungeons & Dragons. Does, you know, <laughs> it's interesting because I don't think it was 77. It's probably like 78 or 79 when I started playing Dungeons & Dragons with some of my friends in middle school. But it was definitely around that same time. So uh, Jim Connolly was one of the Dungeon Masters, and he was also a computer hobbyist. And he purchased a Commodore PET computer to help him track the stats with Dungeons & Dragons. But... These computers were not cheap back then, were they, Tom? No, they were pretty expensive. So uh, so Jim uh, Connolly decided, you know, I need to start making a computer game so I can kind of offset the cost of this computer. Because if I can sell it, I can, you know, get some money back, right? Yeah. So, now, on the other hand, John, John Freeman, he didn't know that much about computers, but he was a very experienced board gamer. And he had contributed to Games Magazine and wrote the, a book called A Player's Guide to Board Games. And uh, he also wrote a large portion of the complete Book of War games. So um, John Freeman, obviously, he's more of a gamer, uh, probably a classic board gamer, but um, but not much of a computer guy. So in 1978, Jim uh, recruits John to help him with the with this games development that he's going to start creating because obviously John has some ideas about games, right? Yeah, so they decided to write a strategy game in Pet Basic. Jim did the programming and set up the basic system. John took over the game design and development. He defined ship types, names, capabilities, created the scenarios, wrote the manuals, including the stories behind the scenarios. Yeah, and before the end of 1978, they had completed this game, and it was called Starfleet Orion. And to sell the game, they formed a company called Automated Simulations. And their original intent was to concentrate on science fiction-based war games, so that's what they created, and that's kind of what Starfleet Orion was. And Avalon Hill, do you remember Avalon Hill? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a huge gaming company. But they were kind of more focused on the traditional war game. 
Yeah, this was the same period of time where I was playing a bunch of uh, traditional board war games from Avalon Hill, things like Tactics 2, Squad Leader, stuff like that. Right. But things that a lot of people probably remember. I guess they thought there was kind of a an opportunity in terms of this kind of uh, science fiction-based war game uh, scenario to kind of break into the market doing that, so... So neither Jim or John had any experience publishing computer games. But then again, neither did anybody else, really, because <laughs> home computing was fairly new. Yeah, they hired a local printer to produce manuals for this game, and the packaging consisted of them just duplicating cassettes by hand on their Commodore pad <laughs> and sealing them along uh, with the manual in the plastic baggies. Which oh, I guess, the beloved plastic bag. That which was kind of the going then. thing at the time, right? Yeah. So in 78, there weren't really any computer gaming outlets to advertise your product, so they decided to advertise in various hobbyist magazines, which included Dragon Magazine. Do you remember Dragon Magazine? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I used to read Dragon all the time. This was a, a magazine dedicated to Dungeons, uh, and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Is it still around? I don't know if it's still around. but It was around as recently as a few, in the last couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I remember that. that. I mean, it was so cool. They'd have the yeah. coolest covers. Great yeah. cover oh, yeah. art, and then they'd have you know stories about how to run yeah. your D&D campaign, and sometimes they'd talk about other games. So I guess they advertised in that and war game magazines and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about Starfleet Orion, their first game. Yeah, this was the first space-based tactical combat game for a microcomputer. Yeah. And the story is about the expansion of mankind into the area around Orion after the invention of the tachyon drive in the 21st century. Um, do you think we're going to get a tachyon drive anytime soon now that it's the 21st century? <laughs> uh, I'm working on one in my garage. <laughs> So the game was based around a series of 12 scenarios, each based on combat from a particular piece of science fiction. So here's what's kind of interesting about this, is the first uh, encounter story is, uh, I guess, the basis for Mission 1, and the missions sl- slowly increase in complexity until sides are controlling you know, several ships each, and in some cases the battlefield also contains a number of other objects like planets and asteroids. But here's what's kind of interesting, is that each mission was described in the game's battle manual. They had to have this huge manual, I guess. And it consisted of a series of ship names, types, and their various uh, weapons that they had loaded. Um, Now, here's what's weird, is that before the battle took place, the users had to actually enter the scenario into the system by typing it all in. Right. (laughs) So it's like it didn't use a disk to load each scenario. You actually had to go to the battle manual and type in the scenario before you played it. And then the game... Does this make sense to you? Well, no, in a, in like a way... Yeah, basically what would happen is like it's this game, right? It's a strategy game and you've got these different ships in various locations and things are set up on the screen. But they didn't have a... The, they didn't use a disk drive to load it. So right. it required the user to go to their battle manual to type all this stuff in. Before, like hex code or something no, like that? No, just... It actually... I have it printed out here. It'd be like, like side one, missiles 10, 4, 15, torpedo 0, 0... You know, and then you type in coordinates of the different things. No way. It's awesome. It also was, it was a two-player game. Right. And so the two players would take turns sitting at the computer while the other player went out of the room so they wouldn't see what the right. first player was doing. After they spent an hour typing in the scenario. But you know what? It's not, of course it sounds funny now, but I can totally see why it was like that. Because yeah. in the early, early days of computer gaming, especially strategy gaming, the computer was seen more as just a, a, an, an engine. 
And yeah, exactly. It was like an engine to help you do the calculations. It wasn't playing the whole game for you. Right. It wasn't being a computer opponent with an AI. Right. It was just an aid to the game yeah. that you're playing. But the only thing I have to say so, about that, Tom, is they said the first scenario did load off disk. It was the subsequent ones you had to type in all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, okay, if you if you have the ability to type in all the stuff, that gives you the the chance to create your own scenarios, right? right? I guess that's true, yeah. So it's not all bad. Yeah. But it's okay. kind of bad. Yeah. Okay, so the gameplay was you load up the scenario, then you have the two players take turns at the keyboard entering the moves, and each player gets asked a series of questions for each ship, like how do you want to move? Do you want to use the tractor beam? How much energy? What's the target? How much to put in shields? Missiles, target locations, torpedoes. So each player enters the commands, and then the game plays out the action simultaneous. So there's no movement. Everything just happens all at once. It's actually kind of cool because you couldn't do this kind of simultaneous play very easily with a traditional board game. Yeah. But with a computer keeping track of everything, it makes it a little easier. Yeah, definitely. No, I I know that at the time it was probably uh, great. I just thought it was interesting that it required everybody (laughs) to type everything. (laughs) So they followed up Starfleet Orion with a sequel named Invasion Orion. And uh, I guess a big feature of this one is that it allowed you to play against computer. So you no longer right. had to have two people to play the game. And it was developed from the beginning for both the Commodore PET and TRS-80. Because I guess at the time, the TRS-80 was more the computer that game players were using, not the Commodore PET. All right, so for the next game, Jim and John decided to go away from doing another war game. Instead, they chose to focus on their efforts on a role-playing game similar to Dungeons & Dragons. Of course, they met through Dungeons & Dragons. The game was called Temple of Apshai. It was originally written on the TRS-80 and then the PET and then converted to the Apple II by a third party. Now, I played this game on the Apple II, and uh, I remember the excitement of this game. It was really cool. Yeah, but the name Automated Simulations doesn't really make sense anymore, right? Well, Temple of Appetite wasn't really a simulation. Right, so they decided to to come up with a new name, and they they thought that Epics sounded good because it's a homophone for Epics. Is that right? Homophone sounds the same. You know what's what's funny they call is them that homonyms now, but yeah. on a podcast saying that epics is a homophone for epics is kind of dumb. <laughs> I was just gonna say it's E P I C S, and the name of the company is E P Y X. Right, exactly. So, so uh, Temple of Appetite was a big success and was ported to a lot of different platforms. What I remember about it is, you know, at that time we had played some of the classic text adventures. But Temple of Apshai was the first thing that really felt to me like playing Dungeons and Dragons on the computer because it had that kind of um, combat where it was you know based on die rolls and stuff. It had the room by room exploration with graphics, so it looked almost like playing a tabletop Dungeons and Dragons game. Well, it had statistics for like the players, and they could increase like their skill levels based on experience and blah blah. Right. You know that whole thing. It's it's kind of the whole. I guess it's kind of described also as like a graphical version of Rogue, which yeah, is... A, yeah, it's you know a little bit saying? like that, yeah. So I guess one thing that was kind of interesting is that a lot of the levels came with text descriptions in the manual. So you'd, you'd get like the room number, and then you'd go into your manual, right. and it would give you a hint about that particular room. So it's supposed to be similar to kind of the way the Dungeon Master describes uh, games during Dungeons & Dragons. So they tried to kind of incorporate that yeah. into Temple of Apshai. So it had more. a combination of graphics and text. right. And, exactly. you know, the sort of statistics-based combat. Right. It sounds like it would re- reduce re- replayability. Right. To go back to the menu all the time. But I guess it also probably helped with copy protection. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to have the printed manual. Yeah. 
Um, go ahead. I was going to say it won the Academy of Adventure Gaming Art and Design's Origin Award for 1980's Computer Game of the Year. Uh, and there were a lot of sequels to Abshai. Um, in fact, there's a whole line of games that Epic's created called the Dungeon Quest line. They had, uh, you know, Curse of Ra, Upper Reaches of Abshai, Gateway of Abshai, The Sword of Fargo, and, and many, many more in this series of games. So what happened in November of 81, Tom? Well, that was when John Freeman decided to leave Epix, and he formed a new gaming company with his soon-to-be wife, Anne Westfall. And they left Epix because they wanted to spend more time developing games and less time dealing with uh, business politics. You know, kind of what is the direction of the company? You know, how are they headed and what are they going to do? They didn't want to deal with that anymore, so they said, let's just go do our own thing. And they formed this company called Free Fall Associates, and they made one of the best games, I think, in that, that era, Archon. Yeah, Archon was a game where it was sort of like chess at a high level, but then when the pieces actually uh, came into conflict, you would you would have like a real-time combat to resolve the result. Right. And it was really fun. I remember this game, too. It was uh, it was great. And, and uh, yeah, I think it got distributed through Electronic Arts, actually. Right. But they formed this company, did that. They went on to do some other things, but that was kind of the big hit that they had. So then in November of 1983... The investors in Epics were also investing in a struggling company called Starpath. Right. And Starpath, they created the device called the Supercharger for the Atari 2600. Do you guys remember that at all? No. Oh, I barely it, remember that. I remember yeah. seeing it in magazines a lot. Um, it expanded the memory and allowed you to play games off of a cassette. And the one game that I remember seeing in the advertisements was this Escape from the Mind Master. It was kind of a 3D, first-person maze-type game. And you saw that advertised quite a bit. But, um, but they didn't sell much, apparently, and they were losing money. And the, uh, the investors said, you know, you guys should probably merge. So Epix went ahead and decided to merge with a Starpath so they could acquire their programmers. And at this point, I guess Epix was up to like 35 employees, 10 of which were, were programmers. So also in 1983, um, Jim Connolly also left Epix. He was having a difference in, in creative direction of the way that the kind of games that they were producing. Um, he wanted to continue to create strategy and RPG games. Um, the management of Epics, though, they were looking to create more action-style games. So what's kind of funny here is really kind of before Epics gets into the, you know, making money and kind of becoming popular, the two guys that founded it were gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, also 1983, that's really when some of the greatest games were produced by Epics. Uh, one of the probably the best known is Jumpman. Do you guys remember this game at all? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, this was an early platformer written by Randy Glover and released in 83. It had 30 levels, and you have to defuse all the bombs in a platform-based screen. Yeah, it's a really cool game. I remember playing this quite a bit. So you go up and down ladders, and there are like different kinds of ropes that you have to go up and down. Um, you know, There's usually like a trick in each level of how to get through it, but it was a really, really fun and addictive game. And I know this was like ported to a lot of different platforms. I think I remember playing like Jumpman Jr. on the ColecoVision. They had different versions of this game for a lot of different platforms. It was a pretty big hit for Epics. Interesting historical note, Jumpman was the original name used for Mario in the game Donkey Kong. Yeah. And it had some of the elements like ladders that would appear in Jumpman. Right. Another game during this era, Pit Stop. Do you remember this game, Pit Stop? Yes. Oh yeah. So that was an awesome game. That was a good if one. You guys remember playing um, Pole Position in the arcade? Yeah. This is kind of like a version of that for the home console, except for it's a bit different because your tires it would show wear on your different tires, right. and your gas would go down, so you'd have to pull into the pits, and then you'd go out and you'd actually hook up things to the car and get it to replace the tires <laughs> or do whatever, and then you'd go out and continue racing. It was a lot of fun. 
That's probably one of the best uh, racing games I remember for the Commodore. Oh, yeah. And um, they also came out with a Pit Stop 2, which had better graphics. And you could also, it had the dual screen, so you'd have one person racing on the top and one person racing, right. racing on the bottom. It was a pretty awesome game. Then comes one of the games that I think most people who had Commodores remember very fondly, Impossible Mission. We were playing this just actually just a little bit ago on my Commodore. What do you guys think of this game? It's good. I was immediately sucked into it and started playing it. It's pretty cool. It's uh, regarded as one of the best platform games, maybe one of the best ever created. Uh, Dennis Caswell created this as well. Um, and I guess the story is that Professor Elvin Adam Bender, <laughs> he's uh, tampering with national security computers, and you have to kind of penetrate his stronghold, racing against the clock, and search the installation, you know, like different pieces of furniture and stuff for uh, pieces of a of these passwords while avoiding his deadly robots. And once you have all these password pieces together, you got to go into the main control room and, and put them together. So it's, a, you know, it's this really cool platforming game, but probably one of the best things about it, the thing I remember the most was the sound because it actually <laughs> had a voice. And what's probably the most interesting is that they used the, uh, uh, it, it had synthesized speech, but it was built out of SID waveform, syllable for syllable, and it wasn't actually digitized. I think a lot of people believe that it was digitized, but it I wasn't. I would have thought it was digitized from hearing it, because it sounds like sort of low-resolution digitized speech. But for them to build that up, you know, syllable at a time, almost like by hand, is is incredible. I don't know how they would have had the patience They've to do that. They've got an English accent on, on, the, on the doctor. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, I'm pretty amazed. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how I would go about doing something like that. Yeah. And then the game that I think Epix is probably best known for, uh, Summer Games, and the, and the series of different uh, Olympic game sports. Yeah, Summer Games, of course, this is you know based on sort of a decathlon game. Um, it was released just in time for the 1984 LA Olympics. Right. And it allowed up to eight players to compete in a series of Summer Olympic events. So you get to choose a country to be and take turns in these different events and see who's going to win the gold medal. Now, of all Epic games, this is the one I remember the best. I, I, I love this game. Yeah. What's cool about it is that like, it had the flags for the different countries, so you'd pick a country at the beginning, right. you compete, and then if you, I think if you won the competition, it would play the national you get anthem. get to hear that country, yeah. Yeah. And it had a, a lot of different events. It had platform diving, 4x400-meter relay, 100-meter dash, gymnastics, skeet shooting, rowing. Um, it also had an opening ceremony with the lighting of the torch at the very beginning. So it was really, really uh, well put together. Uh, saved the world records for you on floppy disks so you could come back and always compete. And it sold like over 100,000 copies. Now, what's also interesting about this is this is this game was actually an extension of the company that they acquired, Starpath. They had started a decathlon game for the Atari 2600. And that it kind of evolved into the summer games um, which was the first Olympic game that uh, that Epic's released? But yeah, I mean, I remember like slamming on my joystick super hard, like in the running events, you know. And then also they had the other events were uh, like timing based, like right. when you did, uh, I think like skeet shooting and that kind of stuff. Uh, it was very and gymnastics too. It was timing based. Right. Yeah, they click things at the the original right. DDR. Right. <laughs> exactly. And there was a lot of follow-ups for this. I think my favorite uh, one in the series was probably Winter Games. Yeah. I loved all the Winter Games events. They had, like, World Games, and they had California Games, which had, like, you know... Skateboarding. Skateboarding. Roller and stuff. skating, yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. So it was really cool. So in 1985, uh, Epix also became a third-party publisher, and they started distributing games for uh, Lucasfilms. 
And one of their games was called Ball Blazer. Do you remember this game? I do. And I mostly remember laughing about the name. But, uh, yeah, Ball Blazer, it's a, sort of like a one-on-one soccer game in the future. And uh, you control this rotofoil. And you try to snare a floating ball called a plasm orb. Yeah. Which can be fired or carried into the opponent's goal, which moved back and forth across the end zone. So it was a weird game. I I don't think it was an especially good game, but it was a sort of a strange science fiction sport game. What I found kind of weird about it is, is really, I think this is one of the first Lucas film games, right? And I couldn't figure out what the heck it had to do with Star Wars. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> right. like, I don't know what this has to do with Star Wars, but it, it didn't have anything to do with Star Wars, but. Uh, what I thought it was going to be. They had another one called Rescue on Fractalis. Yeah. Which, uh, it used fractal technology to create craggy mountains on an alien planet where you had reduced visibility because of the atmosphere. And you controlled this Valkyrie space fighter from a first person point of view. Right. And you attempt to land and pick up, uh, Earth Core pilots. Sounds a lot like Defender, but in, uh, three dimensions, right? Yeah, and some of the mountains had anti-aircraft guns that you had to avoid, and because of the terrain, you had to use a direction finder to locate the pilots. And, uh, again, it was just like trying to use this fractal technology to create the It's kind of weird that it used fractals, and they actually put that in the name of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird. So, some other games they distributed, uh, Barbarian. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but it was a one- or two-player fighting game. It's kind of like Mortal Kombat, but well before Mortal Kombat actually came out. But I, I remember this game because a lot of people thought it was just really gross because you could uh, chop off the head of the uh, of the other right, player yeah, and it would kind of roll around on the ground. Everybody's like, oh my god, this is insane <laughs> that they put so much violence in this game. And it's it's looked at one of the more violent games from that, that period back then, but it was actually a blast to play. <laughs> uh, tower Toppler was another game uh, that they distributed where you'd try to go to the top of this tower while avoiding anything that moves. So you kind of kept going up this kind of cylinder type tower um and what was cool is it kind of made it look like a three-dimensional game even though it was completely you know 2d in in its presentation so it's a really cool game as well so what happened i mean they're they're rolling along they have these hits coming out they have summer games they have uh you know all these impossible mission and these other games doing real well uh well they decided to do more than video games and that kind of like a lot of companies when they try to expand beyond what they're good <laughs> is this at. It's like a theme in our podcast yeah. that every time we talk about a company it has to be that they right. expand past their their main business and then then it yeah. all goes downhill. So they had some early success doing some things hardware based. For example, they had they did the fast load cartridge which if anybody had a Commodore 64 you probably had a fast load cartridge because it, it delivered a 5 times speed improvement on loading games and I have one of them on my Commodore 64 and in fact when I bought my Commodore 64 um, again you know when I got uh, you know I didn't have mine for my childhood but I went and got it on eBay I started loading games and I'm like man this is damn slow <laughs> and then I remembered wait a minute I used to have a fast load cartridge so I went out and got one of those on eBay and I'm like oh okay now I remember and it, it really speeds it up so what I love about this is that it's a, just a BIOS upgrade basically right they, they're replacing the slow code that the Commodore programmers I think that, yeah I think that's what it's doing it's not as any like compression or no crazy uh-uh. yeah. I guess they sold 350,000 fast load cartridges because you know five times improvement Pretty much everybody wanted one. Yeah. They also did the 500XJ joystick, which was a much more ergonomic joystick because most people just use the Atari 2600 joysticks directly on the Commodore. And in fact, uh, one of our uh, list- listeners who uh, posted on the forum, his name is a uh, Whore Product. <laughs> 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 he uh, he has a picture of himself when he was uh, 
a kid, you know, with his Commodore, and he has a 500XJ joystick that he's using in the picture. So cool. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so they had these successes with the joystick and the fastload cartridge. So they're like, you know, let's continue expanding. So they decided to do this graphics and animation package called Art and Film Director. And uh, for it, all those people who wanted to make a film on their Commodore 64, yeah, it was a flop. They started creating board and VCR games, like VCR California games and VCR play action football, and those those pretty much failed. Um, their last big project that really cost a lot of money to create, and I didn't know this until we did this uh, segment, uh, was they tried to create this color handheld video game console that was really ahead of anything at the time, and it was known as the Handy, uh, but it was really expensive to develop. Um, and one company that actually... Uh, you know, kind of invested in Epix was Atari, but uh, but since Epix was kind of losing a lot of money and wasn't producing what Atari wanted, Atari's one of the people that kind of pushed them toward uh, going to bankruptcy. And so once they did that, Atari kind of took the titles they'd contracted uh, with Epix away from them for free, and they also got the rights to this handheld device. So this handheld device eventually came out, and it was known as the Atari Lynx. Oh, so that's if you've the seen, origin of the Lynx. If you've seen an Atari Lynx, that actually was done by Epix, and uh, Atari kind of stole it from wow. them. Wow. Uh, they eventually went on to publish a few PC games later, but for all intents and purposes, Epix was uh, pretty much done. So um, some games that I wanted to mention that we didn't talk about during, during that whole segment was uh, Crush, Crumble, and Chomp. I can never say that, but in 1981, they came out with that. Does anybody remember that game? No. It no. was a movie monster game where you could create these different monsters, and you'd terrorize like, uh, one of four cities, each having each monitor kind of monster had its own unique abilities, and you could grow the monster. You could add abilities um, and that kind of stuff. It was an awesome game. Did you now, ever play it? Wasn't that before the game? What's the Rampage? other? Yeah, Rampage. Oh, it was way before that. Yeah. yeah so was, I it, didn't know there was a precursor to Rampage. Yeah, but it wasn't. It's not as fast action as Rampage. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, definitely a cool game. And one that I remember playing a lot was uh, Breakdance. And I know that <laughs> IMS Jan and I have talked about this on the forum. This was a game where um, basically you'd have two people. One person would do the move, and you'd have to copy the move. It's kind of like Simon, but with breakdancing. But with two players? Uh, you could do... Uh, no, it was a computer would tell you what to oh, do. Okay. He'd be like, you know, do this, do that. And then you'd have to do a little backspin or whatever. And I was big into breakdancing back in the day, I gotta say. <laughs> so do like, you breakdance back then? I can, Tom. I can still do really? it. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, can. I might I have see to that. break some of that out later. Yeah, bust that out. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah. So uh, I love this game because uh, I like to do the backspin, <laughs> little uh, and I, I, you couldn't do the centipede, but you do these little uh, other moves. So it's cool. Uh, they had uh, a bunch of Hasbro-based games, like they had GI Joe, a Real American Hero. I remember that because uh-huh. yeah, you know, right, GI right. Joe was cool back then, and it was actually a pretty good game. Still cool, still cool. Damn. It. All right, had a top-down view, and, and then you also had like classic one-on-one battles and that was a that was a fun game and then world karate championship was another game i used to play quite a bit uh by epics it was definitely you know based kind of on um the karate champ formula but um kind of kind of improved on it had better graphics and in fact i think they even got sued by the people who made karate (laughs) champ uh because but they lost uh the people that sued them lost and uh but that was a really good game because you could travel around to various locations and and do uh kung fu and it was pretty cool all right, well, I think that about does it for episode... 14? 14, 14 long time coming, but it's apparently it's here. Yeah, so we'll uh, be doing it. them at least once a month, uh, if not more. Oh, just uh, wanted to busy. say, uh, 
one of our listeners set up a a private club in Test Drive Unlimited for the 360, and I joined the club. Thanks for doing that. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks I for inviting me. I didn't get, <laughs> I didn't get invited either. So, so uh, next time we talk, are you going to have a PS3, Chris? Um, that, that may occur. I'm going to camp out. I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot, and uh, we'll see if I get a PS3. And next time we talk, Woody, are you going to have an Xbox 360 to play Gears of War? I'm not promising nothing, but I am looking forward to Gears of War. It is the first game that I've yeah. said. It really it makes me want to get it. Yeah. So I'm hoping to get a PS3, if nothing else, just to talk about on the show, but um, I'm actually excited. I, I kind of want the Blu-ray, nothing else. So, um, well, There's you, a whole bunch of games coming out in the next week, or a whole, whole bunch of stuff happening next week. Yeah, yeah cool actually that's that. cool, too. I might as well talk about that. In the next week, uh, we have you know the PS3 launch, and then we have a Wii. We already have somebody who has a Wii, so we're definitely going to get hands-on with the Wii and talk about that. Um, and hopefully I'll have the PS3, so we'll be hands-on with that, and we'll be able to talk about that as well. So if, if all that comes uh, true fruition, which I think it may, um, then we'll probably have a show in a couple weeks to talk about all the fun that we've had on those new consoles. Good times. Sounds exciting. All right. We'll see, see you next time. Later. <laughs> <laughs>